Friends, thank you so much for worshiping this morning. My name is Adam, and it's my joy to be your senior pastor. Uh, I'm feeling cozy in my flannel. Got the fireplace going. We're in our second week of our series called Chris Myths. And we're looking at these songs that we all hear this time of year, like it or not, and kind of digging deeper into the message uh, that's hidden beneath them and kind of comparing that with the truth of Christmas that we can find in the scriptures. This week we're talking about the song, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year. I think it's pretty indisputable that the Andy Williams version is, is the definitive most wonderful time of the year. Uh, and what, be, what might be the widest photograph ever taken, uh, he describes in this song some of the activities and goings on around Christmas time. Right? He sings, there'll be parties for hosting, marshmallows for roasting. And then it's the happiest season of all. And that there's caroling out in the snow. And just work with me for a second, if you would. Just, just put your hand over your heart. Can you tell if it's glowing? Is your heart glowing? It's the happiest season of all. The most wonderful time of the year. This time of year is full of expectation. In our, mo- in our more noble moments, we might expect to feel the peace of God or, or the hope of Christmas time, knowing that our Savior was born. But if we're honest, a lot of times the expectations that precede Christmas feel like a weight, a weight we carry around. For some of us, the happiest season of all isn't cheery, it's a deadline. So how do you deal with the huge expectations at Christmas? I wonder if you're like me and you've felt this tension between the ideal expectations around this time of year and reality. You want that photo op with Santa and your kids. Well, there's the ideal expectation and the reality, (laughs) right? You've gotten some great ideas from Pinterest for some festive holiday cookies. There's the ideal expectation, how they look online, and the reality of Chernobyl reindeer. Yes, don't, don't those look tasty? The whole family is going to be getting together for Christmas. There's the ideal expectation. Oh, look at that. Look at, look at everyone having a good time. The kids wearing some little hat he made. This is the ideal expectation. And this is the reality. <laughs> right? We have fallen short. In the midst of this tension, how can we receive the peace that Christ was born to bring us? I believe we can celebrate Christmas more fully if we will do one thing. I believe we'll recognize this one thing in the life of Christ, in how he lived and in what he did. I believe if we can do this one thing, it will allow us to live in the tension between expectations and reality. So what is that one thing? To release the ideal and embrace what's real. For some of us, this season isn't happy. Our hearts aren't glowing. They're heavy because of the empty chairs around our table that symbolize the people we have loved and lost. Or maybe life hasn't turned out the way we thought it would. We don't have that, uh, that picture-perfect family to embrace. Others of us are dealing with, with some type of crisis I almost titled this message, When the Gift Hits the Fan, but I didn't. Sometimes the gap between our culture's expectations around Christmas and your reality can be crushing. And so if that's you in this season, 
this is a special word for you today. In our scripture today, we're gonna see the tension in what different folks expected of Jesus and what he actually came to do. We're gonna start in verse 27 of the eighth chapter of Mark. Mark is one of the gospels of Jesus. It's one of the, the biographies that tell about his birth and his life and death and resurrection. So we'll start in Mark 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, Jesus asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. During his ministry, Jesus had been traveling and doing lots of amazing things, uh, healing the sick, curing the blind, even raising the dead. This would attract some attention, as you can imagine. And, and so Jesus had attracted a giant following. He was somewhat of a celebrity. This boggled people's minds, all the amazing things he did. And one of the ways people tried to explain his abilities, these miracles, was to say, well, he must be a reincarnation of John the Baptist who had been executed earlier. Or, or maybe he's a reincarnation of Elijah, one of the, the prophets of Israel that, that many people believed would return in a powerful form. Others dismissed Jesus' miracles and, and thought of him as just one more in a long line of people who tried to say that they were God or acted on God's behalf. This isn't the only time we hear about conversations of who Jesus was and what his mission was about. I think John 10, 19 sums it up really well. The people were again divided in their opinions about him. So just like in the first century, just like in 2019, lots of people think lots of different things about Jesus. And so Jesus was curious in asking his disciples, well, who do people say that I am? Hearing the disciples' response about what others expected of him, Jesus then kicks it up a notch. One biblical scholar put it this way. I thought this was good. He said, it is usually less daunting to venture the opinions of others than to risk declaring your own thoughts. So the disciples had been with Jesus day and night, traveling with him, living with him, ministering with him. So he asked them, what about you? Then he asked him, but who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Following Jesus isn't something you do based on what other people have told you. It's a decision that you have to personally make and declare. It doesn't matter what your parents or your pastor or your professor says, you must decide for yourself. And so Jesus' question to his disciples that day still applies to us in 2019. Who do you say that I am? Now the answer that Peter gives is the correct answer, but it's a loaded one. Messiah is a Hebrew word that means anointed one. It's the Greek equivalent to Christ. So Hebrew, Messiah, Greek is Christ. Christ wasn't like Jesus' last name. It's a title that comes from his Jewish designation of Messiah. The Old Testament has many prophecies that shaped the expectations of what this Messiah would do and who they would be. Now, we don't have time or, or, or the space in this message to get into all of those. But, but one thing I do think is important to understand is that the Jews had been pushed around politically for centuries. At the time of Jesus in the first century, they were under Roman rule. Before them, it was the Greeks. Before them, it was the Persians. And before them, it was the Babylonians. 
So we're, we're talking about generations of, of servitude and slavery and, and occupation and repression of Israel. So the main Jewish conception of the Messiah, a savior, an anointed one, was a political and military leader who would restore their kingdom, who would kick out these invaders and put Israel back on the map in terms of military might and their own kingdom. They thought this, this Messiah would come from the line of David, who was their greatest king. They anticipated this Messiah leading an army and, and conquering the Romans and restoring Israel's kingdom. Jesus is aware of all of these expectations. And part of the reason, uh, this is why he, he, he tells Peter not to tell anyone. I mean, think about that. Peter says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Ding, ding, ding. Now, shh, keep it quiet. Yeah, just imagine that. Jesus kept this under wraps for 30 years. I, I can't even keep it a secret. I, I want to tell my sister what I'm, what I'm getting her for Christmas. I can't even keep that a secret for three weeks. This is what Bible scholars call the messianic secret. So there's an impressive Bible phrase you can tell your friends. The messianic secret that Jesus, over and over and over, when he does some amazing thing, or like in this conversation, Yep, you're right, I'm the Messiah. Now, don't tell anybody, keep it a secret. Well, why is that? The reason for the Messianic secret is that Jesus was going to have to redefine for his disciples and for everyone, he was going to have to redefine what it actually meant for him to be the Messiah. Jesus did this in how he taught, how he lived, and who he was. For Jesus to be the Messiah meant that he would die, not conquer. Jesus' kingdom would begin with sacrifice, not war. People were not prepared for this. This is the opposite of what the disciples would have expected, and Jesus reverses our expectations and our instincts as well. Right? When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, what? That's the opposite of my instinct. Pray for my enemies. I want to get revenge on my enemies. That's why they're my enemies. Why would I want to do anything else? Jesus reverses that and tells us to love our enemies and pray for them. Jesus said, uh, like, we shouldn't do things for attention when we do good things. I don't know about you, I like being recognized when I do something good. I might even put it in a sermon to tell everybody. Jesus says that's not how we should do things. Jesus said we should do our good deeds in secret. We expect that people should serve us and that we like to be first in line. Jesus said that he came to serve, not to be served, and that the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. I could go on and on. Everything about Jesus would turn people's expectations upside down. And this all started with his birth. Jesus, the perfect son of God, who existed before time began, steps into our world, into our reality, and becomes like us. We call this the incarnation. John 1.18 says this, no one has ever seen God but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Jesus was born to make God's ideal real to us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that God stepped into our world. Jesus, full of love and grace, released his divine privilege in order to step into our reality. Some of the most beautiful words in Scripture are here from Philippians 2. Jesus, being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus stepped out of his ideal divine existence and entered our flawed reality. We build up these perfect expectations these ideal concepts around Christmas when really what it's about is the Messiah entering in to our mess. This is what makes it the most wonderful time of the year. Not that everything's great, but that the Messiah came into our mess. So if you feel a tension between your ideal expectations and your experience of reality in your situation, then let me tell you, you're in good company. This is the Chris myth that you must create the picture-perfect Christmas experience. All the pressure, all the expectations, all the arguments with your extended family, all the recipes, all the shopping, it's all gotta be perfect. Well, let me hit you with the good news to replace this myth. Even the first Christmas wasn't ideal. Now, if you'd allow me, I'd like to offer a list of Jesus' own family putting the fun back in dysfunctional, starting with the first Christmas and moving on after that. At the time of his birth, Jesus' mom was pregnant as an unwed woman, which would have been a scandal in her own community. Jesus was born in the equivalent of a friend's garage. As a toddler, Jesus' family had to flee to Egypt to escape him being murdered by King Herod. As a child, Jesus' parents lost him for three days. Lost him. And at one point, Jesus' own family thought he was out of his mind. They wanted to put him in a mental institution. Now this is just an encouraging reminder that even the first Christmas was far from idyllic. Even Jesus' own life as he grew up, far from perfect, far from ideal. The good news, friends, is that Jesus stepped out of his perfection and into our mess. This Christmas, I invite you to embrace what's real. Release the ideal and embrace what's real. It was Christmas Day, 2012. My wife Sarah and I were living in St. Louis and we were on our way to visit my family in Lee Summit here in Kansas City. And I get into Sarah's car and I kind of adjust the mirror and I'm like, well, that's weird. And like, I realize half my face is, is kind of droopy. And then I, I can't move my, my right eyebrow. I can't really smile or, or move my mouth on my right side. And I'm like, I'm not a doctor, but this is not good. These are stroke symptoms. And I was like, man, I'm having a stroke. These church people are stressing me out. So, so what do we do? Well, we, we go to urgent care. And, and you know it's really bad when you pull up to urgent care and the person at the reception desk like uses a whispery voice and they're like, you need to go to the hospital right now. Okay. So that's what we did. We go to the emergency room and... Uh, it turns out, here's a little tip from me to you. If you want to get seen quickly at the ER, tell them that half your face is numb. Kind of bumps you up in the priority line a little bit. And so we get in there into this examination room, and I'm talking to the, to the nurse who's, who's doing his best, and I'm like, so, so what do you think? And he goes, well, if you're having a stroke, there's not much we can do for you. 
all right, okay, appreciate it. Glad I came. Uh, but then he says, you might have bells. Bells. Well, it turns out, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. I had contracted Bell's palsy. That's when a nerve in your face gets infected and half of your face goes numb. And so we're talking to him and I'm like, well, should I be moderately concerned or extremely concerned? Turns out it wasn't a stroke. It was a much less severe thing, but that still didn't mean it was very fun, right? So, so I couldn't really smile or blink my right eye. My, my speech was slurred because I couldn't, I couldn't use my whole mouth. Uh, and, and I had to tape my eyes shut at night in order to sleep. Not how I wanted to spend Christmas with half a face, right? This is not what I would have scripted. In many ways, it was terrible. Like uh, at one point, we had gone to get something to eat and I had to tell the dude at Jimmy John's to cut up my sandwich into little slices, much like a four-year-old, because I couldn't fit the whole sandwich in my mouth. Uh, we went to a really nerdy, or I, I played this really nerdy board game, and I had reserved uh, a, a thing to buy for it at Barnes and Noble. And so I walk up to the desk to, to get my reservation of this board game deal, and I'm like, "Yes, I'm here for the Settlers of Catan expansion pack." And they look at me as if I've emerged from a dungeon somehow. I mean, it was just it was just terrible. So I had to make a choice. I could pout and just kind of hole up for two weeks at Christmas and lament my situation, or I could try to make the best of it. I had to release the ideal and embrace what's real. I had canceled our New Year's Eve plans because I just wasn't feeling good, and I told my buddy, uh, hey man, I'm, I'm sorry to be so two-faced about your party. <laughs> Uh, my buddy Sean even made me the sweet photo of me trying to smile next to Droopy the dog. Right? So that was me with Bell's palsy. That's what your pastor with half a face looks like. Uh, I got on Twitter and I tried to get Bell's palsy lyrics trending. Take a good look at my face. You'll see my smile looks out of place. I don't know why it didn't catch on. I mean, these are, this is legitimately from January 2013. Uh, I was also up at 5.30 a.m. apparently. I don't know what, I'm, what I was doing there. You know, a buddy of mine told me once, you gotta laugh or cry. And I've never forgotten that. I had to refuse to let my situation rob me of celebrating the incarnation. And I wonder if anyone else is there today. I don't know what your situation is this Christmas or what your expectations are that are weighing you down. So this week, I invite you to release the ideal and embrace what's real. Part of your peace at Christmas is making the decision to not let other exterior forces or expectations define how you experience this season. Next time you're feeling the gap between the ideal Christmas experience and your reality, remember the first Christmas wasn't perfect either. For me, that's good news. And so this morning, this, this message is your permission slip to let the Prince of Peace provide for you this Christmas instead of all the advertisements and all the crushing extended family expectations. Now, I know a lot of folks who are dealing with a lot more than, than the infection of a facial nerve that they don't mind making jokes about. If you're hurting this season, then let me say, at Christmas... God sent Jesus, who didn't come and make everything perfect, but came as a sign of God's plan for redemption. 
At Christmas, everything isn't made perfect, but we're reminded of the hope that we have. And that may be all we can cling to this month. Jesus didn't make everything perfect, but God sent a savior to join us in our suffering. God's gift to the world at Christmas was Jesus Christ, the Messiah coming into our mess. So I hope whatever your situation, you can still receive the good news of the incarnation that Jesus entered into our reality. I hope you can be freed from whatever distracts you from the good news this season. Friends, may we release the ideal and embrace what's real. And everybody said, amen.